So this evening we will be reading from, again, the Gospel of Luke, as we read this morning. We'll be reading from chapter 11 in Luke, Luke, 5, Luke 11, 5 to 13, and Luke 18, 9 to 14. We will also be looking at Lord's Day 45. But before we look at the, and turn to the Lord's Day, let's read from Luke. As you're turning there, let's bow in a moment of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you again to open your word. And we pray, Lord, that it would be pleasing in your sight. We pray that it would be a word that encourages, that exhorts, that calls us to live holy, but that comforts us as well in you. We pray that you would bless it, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 11, verse 5 to 13. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, Yet, because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your sons ask for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though... If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then turn a few pages over to Luke chapter 18. We'll be reading verses 9 to 14. Beginning at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It ends the reading from God's Word, but we will look at Lord's Day 45, which is a summary of God's Word and the doctrines we find there. This can be found in your Psalter hymnal on page 56 in the back. 57, I should say. Lord's Day 45. This is the Lord's Day on prayer. Beginning in question 116, it says, Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking him for them. How does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart. To no, one, to no other than the one true God, who has revealed himself in his word, 
asking for everything he has commanded us to ask for. Second, we must acknowledge our need and misery, hiding nothing, and humble ourselves in his majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord. That is what he promised us in his word. What did God command us to pray for? Everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. And I would like for us all to respond in this last question and answer by reading the Lord's Prayer together. So, what is this prayer? And let's say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. People of God, it was the great theologian and reformer, Martin Luther, who once said, To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. He also said, prayer is a strong wall and a fortress of the church. It is a goodly Christian weapon. I like the way they talk then, a goodly Christian weapon. And of course, I think if we ask ourselves, what do you think of prayer? Is prayer a good thing? We'd all say, well, yes, of course, prayer is a good thing. And what if you ask yourself, do you pray? And we would say, yes, yeah, we pray. We, we pray and try to pray. But I wonder how important is it in our lives? Now, I'm going to make an assumption about us all. Two assumptions, actually. I would assume we all strive to pray and want to pray. But I'm also going to assume we all feel as if we fall short. Now, some of us are better at this than others. Some of us find it easier to pray and that's wonderful. And yet even there, we know that we don't pray as we ought. That to each and every one of us, there is an opportunity to grow in prayer. And that's what the catechism is answering and asking. Why do Christians pray? Why should we pray? And that's an answer and a question I should say that we all ask ourselves. Why do we pray? It's also one that's such a fundamental question, but one that I think we would all sometimes struggle with the answer. We can doubt, we can wonder, yeah, why would we pray if God is, is the sovereign God, all-knowing, all-powerful, everything that's going to happen is going to happen because he decreed it? Well, why pray? If we are praying to this, God, what's the point? Or we might be in doubt. We might have prayed before and had our prayers unanswered, it seemed, and we would think, why do we pray when we don't receive what we ask? It seems to be a, a, a practice that doesn't actually bring forth anything. It would seem to be empty at times. So why do Christians need to pray? I once heard one pastor answer this question by saying, we pray because it pleases God, because God likes it when we communicate with him. That is certainly true. But is that the full answer? Do we only pray because God likes it? I think we know that the answer is, well, no, there's a lot more to it than that. Yes, we pray because God commands it. 
Yes, we pray because God wants it, but what are the benefits of prayer? Why do we pray? What does it result in? That's what the catechism is answering. The catechism summed up in one statement in these questions and answers would be that prayer is the means by which we draw near to God. Prayer is the means by which we draw near to God. And the catechism does this by answering these three questions. Why do we pray? How do we pray? And what do we pray for? It's taking all God's word and it's answering these questions. Why do we pray? Now notice first, it's, the question isn't phrased as why can we pray? Why should we pray? But why do we need to pray? Which is again makes us think of what Luther said that it's like breathing. A Christian needs to pray because if he's not, he cannot survive. Just as if you can't breathe and have no oxygen, you will sputter and die. A Christian who doesn't pray will sputter and die. Or at least a supposed Christian who claims to be and has no prayer life. We all know that this is important. But I think the sad reality is is that many in the church today and the broader world don't really feel this way. Corey Ten Boom asked, once asked, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? That's where I got the title from, is prayer your spare tire? We all can relate to this metaphor, this imagery. You're driving and your car has a flat and you're like, okay, all right, well, now we can't go anywhere. Let's pull out that tire, put it on the car, get going. Is that what prayer is? Something that we keep in the trunk, pull it out when we need it. Something that is just for emergencies. Maybe even something that we try not to use that much. Again, this might come out pretty hard, this might seem pretty strong, and I'm not assuming that we all struggle in prayer to the point where we think of it as a spare tire, but in actual practice, this can happen. In actual practice, sometimes we can go through a whole day and only pray a quick prayer before we eat because it's a habit, which is a fine habit, but The prayer is without really any benefit, or I should say heart, without any real desire in it. And yet God's word commands us to pray. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, it says, Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all your circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we know that we are commanded to pray, but then the next question is, why? And the first answer that the catechism gives is one that we might be a bit surprised at. It says that it's because of, it's the chief way in which we can express our thanksgiving. When I read that, when I studied it, it didn't immediately click in my mind that prayer, the, the, the one reason, the chief reason seems to pray is because it's offering thanksgiving. When we think about it, this is a really good answer. Someone asks you, why do you pray? It's because I can thank God. I can offer thanksgiving to him, which means we certainly need to have more thanksgiving in our prayers. It's kind of ironic that this chief answer is also what we can spend the least amount of time in our prayers doing, praying in thanksgiving. You see, prayer doesn't always have to be a request for something. You can have a whole prayer in which all you do is thank God for what he's done, and that's a wonderful prayer. It's a prayer in which We all need to do more. We need to pray in thanksgiving without ceasing. Many times our prayer life suffers because we don't have a vibrant walk. 
We don't have a vibrant walk where we're looking for things to be thankful for or we're looking in our own lives at our situations and being thankful for what we see, even if we don't like it. Even if we don't like what we see and we want a different situation, even then we can be thankful. Thankful for God's promises. Thankful that he is with us. Thankful that he is working through whatever we're going through. We know that we can be thankful in this. So we pray to express our thanksgiving. When we are walking in God's word, when we encounter him in his word, this is our desire to thank him, to offer that. But then we move on to another reason in thanksgiving why we should pray, and that's to draw near to God. And again, we might not think of this when we think of thanksgiving. Does thanksgiving really draw us near to God? And the answer is absolutely. If you are expressing thanksgiving to God, you are building a relationship. You're nurturing a relationship. You're seeing your life in the lens of God's word, and you're able to bring him everything before you in thanksgiving. You're able to draw near to him because everything becomes something that you see from his hand. The trial all of a sudden becomes something that you're sanctified in. The blessing becomes something you can bring immediately to God and be thankful, and this makes us draw near to him, makes us communicate with him even more, and it makes us be able to be thankful in everything. Everything that we encounter. So that's the first reason the catechism gives. The first reason is because it's in thanks, offering and thanksgiving. Give thanksgiving. But the other reason it gives is it says because prayer, through prayer, God gives his grace and Holy Spirit. Only, those who, only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking him for them. So why do we pray? We pray to be thankful, but we also pray because we receive the Holy Spirit through it. We receive grace through it. Prayer is not this dead thing. Prayer is not simply a way in which we can make God happy, as it seemed like that pastor insinuated, that God likes that. Yes, but prayer is also something we receive through. We get grace through and the Holy Spirit through. Luke 11 shows us that God will only respond in prayer to prayers of those who actually utilize it. As we read That whole parable, that whole story that Jesus is saying is illustrating something. And it's not illustrating the fact that God is this friend behind this locked door that we need to pound on the door to wake him up. We need to just so bug him until he'll answer it. That's not actually the point. The point that it's making is you will receive your request through that from such a friend. How much more will you receive this request from a loving father? How much more will a loving father answer the requests of those of his children when they ask for his Holy Spirit and they ask for grace? He will not deny that. Now we can draw from Luke 11 in that passage that it must be persistent, that it must be something we work hard at, something that we must continually do, but it's continually done to a God we know loves us. And we know that we will receive the Holy Spirit and we know that we will receive grace through it. I wonder if we truly realize that confidence that we have in prayer. I know in my own life it's so easy to just offer some kind of prayer, not really meaning it, not really thinking about it. It's just something you do. But prayer is so much better than that. Prayer is so much more meaningful than that. Just, Just think about it. 
Prayer is actually you communicating to God. You talking directly to your Father in heaven. How amazing. What an amazing thought. We pray, people of God, because you receive grace. You receive the Holy Spirit through it. What does that mean? It means we don't just receive the Holy Spirit anew as if we never had him, where if you are saved, if you are God's child, you have the Holy Spirit. But what this means is you receive the continued operation, greater endowments of the Holy Spirit, greater sanctification, the Holy Spirit working greater and more fully in your life. We need to add this to our prayers. How often do we pray for the Holy Spirit? How often do we pray for grace? Well, God's word is telling us that's exactly what we should be praying for and knowing that we will receive it. Luke even says this, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You know what this means? It means you will always receive that grace and always receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a danger, though, in this. The danger is in thinking, okay, yeah, now I'm going to pray a lot. Okay, now I'm going to go out and pray every prayer, ask, asking for the Holy Spirit, asking for grace. Well, that's wonderful, but what's, what's our motivation then? If it's only to get, if it's only to receive, well, that's not right either. See, there is dangers in thinking that, yes, okay, now that we receive something through it, just do it all the time, Because then we can start using prayer something as a manipulation device. Something to think of, okay, I just got to log this many prayers in over that subject and then I'm sure to get it. Though we receive these gifts through it, that's not what prayer is. We already said that prayer is the means by which we draw near to God. That drawing near to God is what we're ultimately after. We need to fundamentally adjust our prayer lives so that communion is what we're in search of. Fellowship with God. One commentator said, although to pray is to ask, prayer is not a means of getting what we want. It is a means of becoming what God wants us to be. Ultimately, prayer is not a search for things, but for communion. It's not wrong for us to make requests, but we must be searching for God in it. That is the ultimate goal. You see, the greatest joy of prayer isn't that you can ask a genie in the sky for a bunch of wishes. Rub the lamp, give, 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 give your wish, and you'll receive it. That's not the greatest joy. The greatest joy in prayer is that we get God through it. That we get this relationship with him that ever grows stronger. That he promises he will answer. A way in which to illustrate this is If you are married, you can think of your spouse. If you're not, you can think of a a close friend. And if someone asks you, why do you talk to your spouse so much? Why do you talk to your friend so much? Do you get anything out of it? Well, the answer to that would be, what are you asking me? No, I don't get something out of it. I, I, I get the person out of it. I love that person, and so I talk to that person. I love that friend, and so I call him or her. I love my spouse, and so I will talk and communicate with him or her. It's not about this this getting. It's about drawing nearer to God. 
And oh, by the way, none of that denies the fact that we do receive through prayer. We receive grace in the Holy Spirit. So why do we pray, people of God? We pray because it's the best way, the chief way we can offer thanksgiving. We pray because we receive grace through it. And we pray because we receive the Holy Spirit through it. All of that in which to draw us nearer to our Father. And then the catechism moves to answer, how do we pray? One commentator helpfully summarizes this in three aspects. Proper prayer must be sincere, it must be humble, and it must be offered in complete trust. That's how we can see the answer. Must be humble, must be sincere, and in complete trust. And we see this in our second passage that we read in Luke 18. The prayer of the Pharisee. Do we see a sincere prayer there? As the Pharisee bellowed out a prayer that seemed to be a prayer of thanksgiving, but ultimately was one that praised himself for being so great and not like others. Was there sincerity there? Well, no, there wasn't. Where we saw sincerity was in the prayer of the tax collector. He was sincere. He knew this prayer is what he needed. See, for the Pharisee, it was a show. It was something to do. It was something to check off of a list. Did you get your prayer done today? Yes, I did. Is that what we do? Oh, did I get my prayer done today? Can I check that off? No, prayer is sincere. And sincerity in prayer is not based upon its length or the words you use. It's all of the heart. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. True prayer must be from the heart. But don't take from that 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 means we can only pray if we feel sincere. No, the answer when we don't feel, fear, feel sincere is to pray for sincerity. It's the opposite of that. It's not, no, I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm not in that right mindset yet. It's, no, you then pray, Lord, put me in the right mindset to pray continuously and endlessly and ceaselessly to you. And that doesn't mean, of course, that we walk around in a perpetual prayer that doesn't end. We, we know what this is saying. This is saying that what we encounter in life is, is one that's brought in prayer to God. We rush into prayer at certain times of the day. Think of Daniel in the Old Testament. He had times of the day in which he would go and pray, but that wasn't a checklist. It was a time in which he set aside to talk to his Savior, to talk to his God. And yes, we can utter prayers, quick prayers, as we are walking around, as something happens. All these things are wonderful, but they must be sincere. So first, it must be sincere, and second, it must be humble. We must be humble, and this, again, we see in the tax collector, the Pharisee certainly was not humble, but in the tax collector, standing far off, who would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified. All throughout God's word, there is a common theme that God will be with the humble. God will answer his prayer. He will be near them in prayer. He will turn his countenance of, in a peaceful way upon the humble. He will answer them. 
But then there's also the opposite. He will not answer those prayers of pride. Those prayers that are not humble, those prayers that come before him thinking that they don't need it. We know that we must pray and receive the Holy Spirit in, in humility. And we know that we must come as this tax collector did with knowledge of our sin. It's profoundly humble to come before God knowing that we're sinners. Knowing that prayer is not some conversation that isn't that meaningful. It's our very life source. To express our repentance, our thanksgiving, all these things. This is how wonderful prayer is. This is also how complex prayer is. You see how many of these things get intertwined and get enfolded into this one thing of prayer. And so we pray with an urgency. And the third condition for proper prayer is trust. And this is meaning we don't pray with utter skepticism, doubting God, and it's easy to do that. As we saw, in the, as we mentioned in the beginning, some of us can doubt prayer because we don't receive anything through it, it seems. So how do we reconcile this? How do we pray with confidence, with true trust, when we feel like we won't actually get always what we're praying for? In fact, we can doubt that God will ever provide for us. We can doubt that God will grant our petitions. What's the point of praying about this? He's not listening. Well, to do this, people of God, is wrong on many levels. But the primary reason it's wrong is that to pray without confidence is actually to pray without a knowledge of Christ. It's interesting that it, the Catechism waited up until this point to insert, right, that's a poor word, but to, to, to mention Christ here because prayer is never meaningful without him. The only confidence that we have in prayer is because it's a prayer brought in Christ's name. It's a common way in which we end prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. That is our foundation. That is our confidence. To doubt that would be to slap our Savior in the face. To doubt that God would hear that is to say, he's not hearing his own son. You see, the confidence that we have is to know when we offer a sincere prayer, a humble prayer, a thankful prayer, that is all these things, that's also correct. If God does not listen to that, he's not listening to Jesus. The Father always listens to the Son. The Father will always hear the Son, and he is our mediator. We bring every prayer through Christ. For what would be the point of offering a prayer of thanksgiving unless that we're thankful in Christ? Why would we offer a prayer of confession unless it's that we've been forgiven through Christ's blood? Why would we even make a petition asking God for some request unless we have confidence that we draw near to a Father who hears us because we have been justified? because we are saved, because we are his children. It's all through Christ. How can we doubt then that God will hear us? Think of this in relation to the Luke 11 passage. Knocking at the door, pounding at the door. Well, the one who's pounding the door on our behalf is Christ. It might be a poor imagery because it doesn't take that work from Christ to get the door open, as it were. It's always open to him. 
Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Then listen to this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. People of God, this is our confidence. This is the power of prayer. And yet something does need to be said here. Might be going through all your minds, but what about those prayers that aren't answered? What about all those times and all those years we've prayed for something and it doesn't happen? Those years you prayed for a different job and it didn't come. What about that? Doesn't it seem like there's an issue here that we can have confidence and should have this profound confidence and yet know that we won't always, always receive what we're asking? Well, first, we need to keep in mind that God won't answer a prayer that's wrong. And what I mean by that is a prayer that's asked for the wrong reasons. James 4, 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. If we're asking for the wrong reason, well, then we don't have confidence. Why would we? We ask through Christ's name for the right things, and when we do that, we know that we will receive it. We also need to make a distinction between temporal blessings and spiritual blessings. We must not ever doubt spiritual blessings and the fact that we will receive them. Every time you pray for forgiveness, you will receive it and in fact have already received it. When you pray for sanctification, God is not just going to ignore that request. When you pray that God's kingdom would come in your own life, he will bless that. When you pray for wisdom, James says when you pray for wisdom, have confidence that you will receive it. These spiritual blessings we pray for, we will always receive. Now what about temporal blessings? What about these things that we pray for like, like a job, a, a spouse, health? All these things that we bring before, legitimately we bring before God in prayer. Well, we actually have confidence during, for, through these things too. Not that the exact requests we make will be answered exactly the way we phrased it. But because our prayer is always one in which it's to draw nearer to God and to bring forth his kingdom, we know that every prayer we pray will be answered in the, temp in the temporal blessings if it helps us, if it aids us on that path. If it's according to God's will, we then will receive that. In essence, this is the Lord's Prayer. This is daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And you will receive the needed bread. And so have confidence in that. Have confidence that he hears us. So where do we go from here? How do we leave this place? Question and answer 118 of the Heidelberg Catechism answers what we pray for. And this is the thought in which we will conclude with. You know, we can think of why we pray, how we pray, but then what do we pray for? And the answer is everything. Everything we need spiritually and physically. Now, isn't that such an encouragement? This is God saying, bring it all before me. Don't hold back. Scriptural proof of this we see in Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. This is what we go away with here tonight. We pray for everything through our Savior. It would also be easy, though, to say right now, go and do likewise. Okay, go do that. Go pray. Do these things. But I want to end on a paraphrasing quote from John Calvin. He said, no one has ever carried prayer out with uprightness. God tolerates even our stammering and pardons our ignorance, allowing us to gain familiarity with him in prayer, though it be in a babbling manner. Take heart in this, people of God. We're not always going to do it right. Not all of our prayers are offered in complete sincerity, in complete humility, in complete confidence. But again, we look to our Savior. That's what we leave with. We rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift to come before you in prayer as we just meditated on, as we just heard. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen each and every one of our prayer lives this evening. And we would come before you to offer thanksgiving. That we would come before you and receive grace in the Holy Spirit through it. That we would come before you in sincerity and humility and confidence. But that all these things would lead to a greater communion with you. And all these things would be based on, upon our Savior, upon what he has done. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.